I'm going to give you a little peek into my intensive outpatient program today. Not literally, obviously, for HIPAA reasons, but there was a new teaching I did in both groups. I run a morning program and an afternoon program, and both groups responded to this really, really well. It's kind of new. It's kind of not. It, it's synthesizing a few different ideas together to try to create a, a cohesive way to plan some steps forward in regards to battling your depression and anxiety. It was re really well received. Uh, people were excited about it. So I want to share it with you all today too. And it starts with a metaphor. So imagine if you were uh, some kind of like combat fighter, right? Like a mixed martial artist or a boxer or something like that. And throughout your career, you know, you have however many wins, however many losses, but throughout your career, you, you, you kind of develop like a rival or a nemesis, this person who you end up matched up with or against, I should say, you know, time and time and time again. And your battles are, are very back and forth. They win some, you win some. But it seems like the majority of the time, this person seems to get the better of you. They always seem to have a leg up on you. They always seem to know what your next move is. It's like they know you too well. So every time you're up against this person, you know, this is going to be a rough one. This is going to be a really, really tough one. And if you knew that you had that person coming up in your schedule again, and you knew this is my greatest battle, this person just has me dialed in somehow, how hard would you train for that battle? Would you, would you just treat it like, you know, just another training session or, or would you have a lackadaisical approach? Would it be your second, third, fourth biggest priority? Or would you, knowing that this is going to be the fight of your life, would you be all in? Would you, for some period of time, devote as much of your life as possible, as many of your waking hours as possible, to winning the battle against this enemy and really getting them figured out, not only beating them this time, but knowing how to beat them time and time again if this is not your last fight with them, which it may not be? Hopefully, your answer is, I would train my butt off. This would be the focus of my life until I felt like, finally, I have figured this person out. I have got the upper hand in this rivalry. And I am confident that every time I square off against this person, I'm going to come out on top. That is a metaphor for this battle that we're all fighting here. The battle against our own mental health symptoms. Because I, I hope and I pray that this is the hardest battle you will ever fight. If it is not... I am sorry about that because this can be a nightmare. I, I truly believe that for most people who struggle with their mental health, that it's their, that's your nemesis. That's your rival. That's your greatest foe. That's the one you're going to come up against time and time again. You'll, you'll face other situations in life, but a lot of them will be one-time things. One tough battle, but then you know, after some point in time, it's over and that's done. Not your mental health. Typically not. This is usually someone you fight to some degree through your entire life. And so you need to know how this person works. You need to understand their moves, their strategy, the ways they manipulate you. You need to know what you're going to be up against. You need to be prepared for this battle and you need to be ready to win. And that's what this is meant to teach you to do today. So as a starting point, what I've got people doing, people in my programs, is I'm having them do these daily time trackers. So it's a 24-hour tracker, and I'm only having them do it once for now, because it, it's a lot. It is a lot of work. I'm going to own that right up front. This is an intense intervention. This, this one's going to take a lot out of you, but I think it's worth it. 
So we've got their entire day map, well, not mapped out, they're blank spots, but a 24 hour cycle, midnight to midnight in 15 minute increments. So a lot of detail here. So four slots per hour, right? And what I'm asking them to do is for each of those 15 minute increments, record the primary activity that they engaged in during that time. What did they spend most of that 15 minutes doing? And then the third column, so it's what time it was, what they did. And then the third column is just a simple yes or no. And it's a little bit subjective. Do you think this was the right move for you? Do you think this was the best thing that you could have been doing from the perspective of your mental health? And so if a person fills this out completely in a day, what they would end up with is a percentage. What percentage of my day was focused on my mental health? Now, I want people to be realistic with this. Um, you know, if you have a job, for example, and you need that paycheck to, to survive and pay your rent, then when you're at work, yes, you are doing the best thing you can do for your mental health at that time. Because if you were not employed, you'd have a series of other stressors that you aren't currently dealing with. Um, obviously, things like sleep are going to be on there, right? Hopefully, roughly a third of this 24-hour period of time, ideally about a third exactly, should be sleep. And if you're sleeping when you're supposed to be asleep, then every single one of those is going to be a yes. So if you're sleeping, this is it, this does an excellent job of showing why sleep is so important, right? Because if your sleep hygiene is on point, if you're getting about eight hours of high quality sleep a night at around the same time every day, you are already at 33%. Like really think about that. A third of your day is optimized for your mental health if you're sleeping right. So you're already a third of the way to perfection. Now, I don't actually want you to be a perfectionist about this. This is a disclaimer I gave them too. I don't want this to trigger any like rigidity or, or obsessions or, or perfectionism. Um, I, I don't know that it's a realistic goal to be at 100%. I am probably not at 100% most days. And it, it, honestly, if you tried to get to 100% every day, that might actually create more anxiety. So it's not necessarily that we want to get to 100%, but... What I do want people to be thinking about, and I'll, I'll share some of the some of the answers I got to this question in group, is what percentage do you feel like you would have to be at for it to be unreasonable that you do not start to get better? Because we know, like, there's not one exact answer, right? But very broadly speaking, when it comes to depression and anxiety, we we know what works. Now it's it's. It's a configuration of different interventions and lifestyle modifications and, and stress management techniques. It, it, it's a mix of a bunch of things, right? There's no one thing. And the exact mix of things is going to be different from one person to the next. But we are at the point with psychology, with our research into mental health, this stuff is not a mystery anymore. This isn't a hundred years ago, you know, back in the days of Freud, where we just have to ramble about our families and hope we stumble across some repressed memory or something like that. That's over for, for the most part. There are some people who still do that, but for the most part, we're done with that. We pretty much know what a person can and should be doing to really make some progress on this stuff. And this is demonstrated through huge, you know, studies and meta-analyses, studies of studies, like really, really good consistency. These things work for most people. And if this thing doesn't work for you, this other thing, something will, some configuration of things will. So based on all that, it stands to reason that there is a number, there is a percentage, there's a certain amount of your day that if you're doing the things that are best for you 
from the perspective of your mental health. If you cross some certain threshold with that percentage, you should start to get better. It would be unreasonable to say, pick a ridiculous number to start with, right? Listen, 100%. If, if every second of every day is dedicated to applying mental health interventions, there, there is a 0% chance that you don't get better, right? Now, again, we're not aiming for 100% because that's unrealistic, but I don't even think a person needs to be at 100%. I asked, now keep in mind, the intensive outpatient programs I run, these are for people with severe mood and anxiety disorders, okay? this is These aren't people dealing with mild stuff. These are people who are really deep in it, and most of them have been really deep in it for a long time, okay? Often these are people who have a history of multiple psychiatric hospitalizations, sometimes in the double digits. Sometimes these are people who have been in and out of intensive treatments for 15, 20, 30 years even. Um, so this isn't easy stuff we're dealing with, okay? These aren't people, with, I hate to say this because it sounds judgmental, but these aren't people with small problems, okay? I asked both groups to name what they felt like their threshold was. In other words, where do you start really feeling it? You know, when your day is dialed in this much for your mental health, there was some variability. Um, most people said around 50 or 60%. Some people said 40, a couple people said 70. No one said below 40, no one said above 70. And so it stands to reason that if you can get probably about half your day, and remember you're, you're at 33% just with sleep, so this isn't that hard. If you can get half your day optimized for your mental health, you should get better. And that I don't know if that sounds like a lot or not, because I don't know who's listening to this and, and where you're coming from. But realistically speaking, that's not that hard. It's, it's not. It is very, very doable. And I am going to spend the rest of this episode breaking down for you how I think a person could accomplish that. I want to tell you a little story first. There is a is was the podcast I listened to about this person is a little bit out of date. So I don't know what he's up to today. But there's a person, uh, you might have heard of him. He's like semi-famous, but not massively famous. Dave Brailsford is his name. He is or was, I'm not sure, the coach of the United Kingdom Olympic cycling team. He took over that team in 2003, and the team was formed in 1908. From 1908 to 2003, this team won one gold medal. It's one gold in almost 100 years. And I think there's something like 13 cycling events, maybe team cycling events. So um, like one in a hundred years, especially for a country like the UK, which is, you know, a well, a, a very populated country. That's no offense, guys. That's pretty bad. So essentially he inherited one of the worst teams, like pretty close to bottom of the barrel team. So starting from a low, low point, the reason I want to emphasize that it's because that's often how we feel when we're dealing with depression and anxiety. We, we look around, we look outside our window, we see other people and they're just out there doing stuff, right? They're, they're going to work, they're going to school, they're getting married and having kids and doing whatever. And, and we look at them doing all this normal person stuff and they look like superheroes because we feel like we're so far down here. It's like, how, how could I ever reach that level? How could I ever possibly get there? So in order for any model, you know, any idea, any strategic approach to be applicable to us, it has to work if you're starting from the bottom, right? A model that says, take something average and make it great, that doesn't apply to us because we don't feel like we're starting from an average point. We feel like we're starting from a low point. 
So any model that's going to be applicable to us needs to be one that starts from a low point. And this one does. So I want to make sure you don't miss that. In 2008, the men's UK cycling team, taken over by Dave Brailsford, that had won one gold medal in 100 years, won seven. So 100 years, one gold medal. Five years later, seven. 700% 700 increase in five years. That's insane, right? And so whatever he did is obviously something that can take you from a very low place to a very high place. So let's talk about what he did because it is not what I expected. I, I just, this is brand new to me. I just heard about this guy last week, even though obviously this happened almost, you know, 15 years ago at this point. And it absolutely blew my mind. So as I'm listening to this story, my first thought is he must have done something drastic. Like, honestly, my first thought was that this was going to be that this was going to end in like a, a steroid scandal or something like that. I thought this was going to be a, a cheating story. Um, when it became clear that that wasn't the case, I figured this was going to be, you know, he, he did something drastic. Like, did they did they get entirely new bikes or like, totally change how they were training that there would be some magic bullet you know some some definitive answer that just flipped the switch on on this situation so quickly and what he did was the complete opposite of that so he implemented a progress that or a process i should say that he calls marginal improvement and the idea behind marginal improvement is that you take all of the little micro components of the thing you're trying to improve and you just make each one of them a little bit better so I'll give you some examples of what he did, and then I'm going to actually apply that to mental health because I realize that learning how to run a cycling team doesn't necessarily help you, but there, there's something deeper here, okay? Some of the things he worked on with his team were things like the comfort of their socks, like tried out a bunch of different socks, had them figure out which ones were more comfortable. He painted the shop, like the place where they uh, you know fix and maintain the bikes, painted the walls and floors white so that they could maintain a cleaner workspace, a cleaner environment, because small amounts of, of dust or dirt could get into the components of the bicycles and cause them to, to malfunction or, or not work as, as optimally and as, you know, like a gear change, for example, if there's a little bit of dust and dirt in your gears, maybe that slows you down by a millisecond. And if you make, I don't know, hundreds of gear changes in a race, that stuff is going to add up. So it's all these little things added up. He hired a surgeon. This one was probably my favorite. Hired a surgeon to show them, uh, the team, proper hand washing techniques to make sure that their hands were like sterile, like as if they were preparing to go operate on someone in the OR to help spread, uh, prevent the spread of disease, to make sure they were optimally healthy. He had them take their own pillows with them everywhere they went because as I'm sure you know, you know, sometimes if you go somewhere and the pillow is not the greatest, you don't have a great night's sleep and that affects your performance the next day in whatever you're doing. So just, I mean, there were hundreds, those are just a few examples, hundreds of things like that. And that's it. That, that was his whole thing. Break it down, look at all the little details and just make everything a little bit better. There was no one big thing. That was what took the men's UK cycling team from one of the worst to the best, at least for a period of time. So if that works in that context, I see no reason 
why that shouldn't work in a mental health context as well. Because really, that's a model for everything in life. Every big thing you want to do in life is just a, a like a tower built of smaller things. That's what everything is. And if you can optimize or even just improve those smaller things, those just those little parts of your day, those little things you do, the net result of all those little improvements could be something incredible, could be something dramatic. So going back to this 24-hour timesheet, right? These 15-minute increments in your day. If a person starts, let's say at 30%, so 30% of your day is doing something that's best for your mental health. And, and that's that's a pretty low starting point, okay? So in a 24-hour day, a 15-minute block is almost exactly 1%. Technically, it's 1.0 something. Just to make everybody's life easier, we're going to call it 1%, okay? So let's say that you were starting at 30%, and you feel like you want to get to, at least for the time being, 50%, which is almost doubled. So that is in some ways kind of a lofty goal, right? That's a big enough jump. Going from 30 to 50%, it should make a dent in your symptoms. It should make a difference in how you feel. If every 15-minute increment is 1%, that means you only actually need to change 20 of them to bridge that gap from 30 to 50. 20 15-minute increments is five hours. Might seem like a lot, change five hours of your day, but remember, you can do this gradually over time. This is where I think people get tripped up a lot. They try to do things quickly because they're struggling, because they're suffering, because they're sick of feeling this way, and they're looking for that one big thing, the thing that's going to change everything overnight, the thing that's going to make a huge impact quickly. The problem with that is that thing usually isn't real. That thing usually isn't sustainable. So think about it this way. If every month of your life, you changed one 15-minute block of your day from a no to a yes, one 15-minute block per month, that isn't really that hard, right? You would reach that threshold. You would go from 30% to 50% in just under two years, just over a year and a half, actually, it'd be 20 months, right? Assuming that every every block you switch from a no to a yes, you got to keep doing that. And then the next month you flip another one. So it, it does create a lot of incremental change. I'm not saying it's an easy thing to do, but it's probably easier than you think. If you record, like I, I really want people to try this. It's a powerful tool. Start by just recording what you're already doing. In 15 minute blocks, just write down, what did I do today? And look at the parts of your day that you don't feel super fantastic about. Look at the things you did that you know, I, I had way better options there and it wouldn't have been that hard to implement one. And then just pick one block, right? Maybe it's the 15 minutes after you get home from work or school. Maybe that's a time where before you shift into like scrolling or, or Netflix or whatever, maybe you just take 15 minutes to do a brief relaxation activity or meditate or use a spiritual tool or connect with someone just 15 minutes one little block of your day and if you can make a change like that every month and keep it going you could be a dramatically different person 
two years from now than you are today. You could be a significantly less depressed and less anxious person than you are today. I know so many people who I've heard over and over and over again say, I would do anything to stop feeling this way. I would do anything to get out of this. And sometimes people even think about ending their own lives to get out of this. So if you're in that desperate place, like I would do anything, well, I've got an idea for you. It's not easy, but it's an idea. And I think it actually has an extremely high likelihood of working if, if you can stick with it. So I hope you think about giving this a try today. If you do try it, even if it doesn't go well, pe people who know me will tell you, you can tell me if I'm wrong. I'll listen to you. I will. If you tell me I'm wrong, if you tell me I sincerely tried your idea and it did not work, you were wrong, sir. You know what I'll do? I'll go back to the drawing board. I'll make something else and I'll give it to you. So if you try this, let me know how it goes, good or bad. I want to hear it all, but I hope it's good. And honestly, I'd be real surprised if it wasn't. Because although I did not exist, I didn't adopt this exact strategy. I didn't have this formula. But when I look back on how I went from where I've been to where I'm at now, this is basically what I did. It was incremental improvements, one little thing here and there, and then sustain it over a long period of time. And that's how I got from being so depressed and anxious that I was non-functional and disabled to having a doctorate degree, a wife, a family, a beautiful home, and generally speaking, a life that I'm happy with. I think you can have those things too, or whatever your version of those things happens to be. Let me know how it goes. Take care.